It's time for a Big Blue Kickoff Live. Nobody can ever tell you that you couldn't do it because you're dead. On Giants.com. You know what I saw? New York Giant Prime. And the Giants mobile app. We'll punch you in the nose for 60 minutes with a relentless competitive attitude. Part of the Giants Podcast Network. Let's go out there like a bunch of crazy dogs. Have some fun. Welcome to Friday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live on Giants.com and the Giants mobile app. It's all presented by the New York Lottery, the new X-Series from scratch-offs from the New York Lottery. Multiply your winnings up to 100 times. Please play responsibly. John Schmelk, Paul Dettino, Lance Meadow with you. The phone number is 973-667-1960. A lot of talk about today. Uh, some news around the NFL that Jeff and I mentioned a lot on yesterday's show. We could touch on that, but we'll focus on the three days of practice at the Senior Bowl with the game coming your way at 2.30 on Saturday afternoon. As a reminder, Big Blue Kickoff Live is part of the Giants Podcast Network presented by Investors Bank. You can find the archive of all of our podcasts, including this show, Giants Rewind, Giants Huddle, at Giants.com slash podcast, your favorite podcast platforms, and the Giants mobile app. Mr. Meadow, Mr. Dettino, happy Friday to both of you. And boy, it is freezing outside. I was outside late <laughs> last night and this morning. This is as, probably as cold as it's been, at least in my opinion, so far this year, right? Yeah, it's pretty nasty. I love it. I think it's fantastic. Of course you do. I embrace the cold. There's probably going to be a snowstorm early next week, too. So, you know, it's about time we start feeling yes, winter. Yes, it is. Yeah. Listen, we're at the now, end let, of let, January, let, early February. Lance is the same person that I think it was like last, like two Mays ago. We're sitting there like, oh, isn't the weather great? Lance goes, I prefer the rain. I embrace Mother Nature and all she has to offer. I'll leave it at that. <laughs> you are such a dour individual. It's I'm not. I just oh, listen. Yes, I'm are. a flexible guy. Okay. I don't let the weather get me down, unlike you know some of the other individuals on this program. So I, I guess we'll start here, folks. We've had three days of senior bowl practice. If you haven't seen it, ESPNU did a real nice job covering it. Um, I think we learned a lot. We saw a lot once we found that it was actually there, the one actually advertised for it. But Paul did a good job finding that for us. Um, so... This is where I'll start here. I think once again, guys, we're going to have a very strong wide receiver class. It's a wide receiver class, as Paul and I talked about on Wednesday. might have him a little disappointed because there's not a ton of skyscrapers. But it probably has Lance Meadow very excited because you have a bunch of under six footers that are really playing well over at the Senior Bowl. Smurfs. Hey, Smurfs can earn the big paycheck too, and sometimes they play bigger than their size. You hear that phrase a lot, Paul. This is true. I'm not criticizing it. I'm just telling you that some people would rather have ketchup on their hamburger. Other people would rather have mustard. I'm a ketchup guy. I think there is quality and substance no matter the size of the wide receiver class. And we talked about this, I would say, for the last few years. All you have to do is go back to the draft, specifically the first round. That has been the position where if you're patient, you could be rewarded. Most GMs and teams, I think, at least have one example that they could point to over the last three years, I would argue. Yeah, and Lance, I think by the this way, year by the way, Lance, be the same. not just the first round. I mean, you do, this is a bunch of really good players picked in the second round, too. Sure. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, Lance, let me make something clear, and, and I'm, not, I'm not trying to be a wise guy here. If this, is, this is a symptom, in my opinion, of the makeup of the room. You know, if we were back in the day – when Tumor and Plexico Burris were on the team, I would be looking for a Smurf. But because the makeup of the room has gotten smaller over the years, I'm not looking for a Smurf right now. I want somebody to complement the Smurfs they've already gotten, which is why I'm so gung-ho and have been for the last few years on getting a skyscraper. Well, in so fame, in fairness, please, let me, let me make that clear. This is based on the makeup of the room. 
I don't think it's fair to call Darius Slayton a Smurf. First of all, I he's don't not think a Smurf, that's but he, he's an average height. Yes. He's an average height receiver. I I tend, you know, where's the production come from? A lot of times with the Giants, it's come from Tate. Two thirds of the productions come from the smaller guys. Shepard's smaller, and Tate is even not as big as Slayton either. No, that's true. That's fair. Now, just to give people an idea, Dane Brugler put out his top 100, one of the best draft guys out there. And, you know, while we're watching NFL all season, he's watching every college football game and tracking these guys. Most of his work is done already with the draft because he's watched tape on all these guys already. So he put out his top 100. Paul, Lance, I want you to give me a guess. How many wide receivers do you think Dane Brugler has in his top 100 players? Jesus. <laughs> I would say he probably has... There's going to be a bunch. I'm warning you, Lance, there's going to be a bunch. 17? Is that a reasonable number? 17? What do you Ooh. think, Paul? Ooh. Wow. Uh, I'll say more like 13. Lance Meadow. He has 16 wide receivers in his top 100 players. And to give you an idea, in his top 50 players, he has seven wide receivers and 11 wide receivers in his top 62. So you're looking at as many as a dozen wide receivers taken in the first two rounds, just according to his big board. Obviously, that might not happen when the draft takes place because a lot of teams have wide receivers. There's not a huge need for a lot of teams. But I think we saw that reflected in what we saw at the Senior Bowl, right? I mean, you look at all these guys at wide receiver that have played well. Kadarius Toney out of Florida has looked very good. Nico Collins out of Michigan has looked really good. You go to maybe some of the smaller schools. Kay Johnson looks like a pretty good slot guy. I think Austin Watkins had himself a nice little week. Both Clemson wide receivers, Amari Rogers and Cornell Powell, I thought played very well. Another smaller school guy, Dwayne Eskridge out of Western Michigan. He's been fast in a very difficult... He, he played so well the first two days, he didn't even practice on Thursday. That's how good he felt about his first two days of practice. And that's from Western Michigan. That's not exactly a, you know, a, a Big yeah. Ten program here. So that tells you how well he played. Um, you have the kid out of North Carolina who's kind of that running back, wide receiver, flex-type player. Uh, Demetric Felton out of UCLA. He played extremely well. And all these guys can be, you know, top four-round type of picks. And they just and Shai Smith, I forgot about him out of South Carolina, another guy. That, Frank Darby that, out of Arizona State's he, another one I he, throw out there. He made some plays yesterday, no question about it. So you have these guys, just so many of them, that made plays. And it just shows you that the way college works now, guys, and I'm, be, I'm being told by people that pay attention to this stuff that next year's class is not nearly as good as these last two, whatever. I'm not worried about that right now. But wide receivers are, is going to be a position where – you're going to be able to find guys, and, and it doesn't have to be a first-round pick to find one. And it doesn't have to be a top-15 pick to find one. Look at some of the best guys the last two years. They were late first-round mm -hmm. and second-round picks. I'm with you, John. I mean, we, we, we said this going into last year's draft, that there was going to be probably as many as four rounds of make-it receivers, right? We talked about this at the Combine. And it turned out, look at the class. Yep. It was outstanding. There were non-first-round guys who made big impacts on their teams. And even then, 
we were being told by Tony Pauline and some of those other guys in Indianapolis, just wait, next year's receivers receiving class is going to be even better. And people have held true to that same narrative, even though there were a ton of opt-outs this year. They, they still seem to believe that the receivers are going to be the stars of this draft. So I could not agree with you more. I will not be disappointed if the Giants do not get one of the, quote, three premier wide receivers in the draft who are expected to go in the top 10. If they can't get one of those at 11, I have no problem at all of waiting to the second or third round. Probably the second, but if they if they got second's go three, a better idea because the third round you might be kind of stuck with one of yeah. the last couple of guys that you don't love. You so, might be, yeah, you might be. Look, Nico Collins at forty three. You know I'm all over. You it. know, Paul, it's funny you mentioned that. And Lance, I'll bring you in on this one. The more I watch Nico Collins, you know, he's a he's a taller guy. He's six four. He's I think what two sixteen. I have to look at the exact uh, weight there, but he's he's six four. He's a big dude. You know, he's not one of these, like, super sudden guys at the line of scrimmage that's going to change directions really well. But we've seen him make so many catches down the field where he's yep. tracking the ball, adjusting to it in midair, having to turn around to his back shoulder, switching what shoulder he's looking over, making contested catches. I have to go back and watch his 2019 tape. He did not play this year. But simply based on what I saw at the Senior Bowl, he would be a guy that would definitely be in the mix for me picking 43rd overall oh thank you john i'm glad somebody agrees with me well why who was down on nico collins that you've chatted with well, i figured you always being the contrarian you no, have to what, hate what him. is that supposed to mean <laughs> i'm not always the contrarian if i don't agree with the sentiment i'm gonna let you it know. want I'm some not five nine shrimp is what you want because it fits your narrative no well first of all no first of all let me make something clear Size is great, but size is not everything. And today's game is more about speed than size, I would argue. I, I think, I think okay? that's true, too. I think that's a fair point. So that's why I think a lot of these smaller guys in stature are getting attention and thriving because in today's NFL, which we're also seeing on the college football level, if you have a guy that you could dump the ball off to in open space within a 10-yard radius, you are banking on him winning the battle up the field as opposed to having the big vertical threat that you could just hit the home run 50 yards down the field. Space and, and I think speed, we right? see a, a lot of that in this senior bowl class, but I think we've seen a lot of it over the last few drafts. Just look at the makeup of the rosters. Not everybody can have Tyreek Hill, but right. if you ask most general managers, they're going to sign up for Tyreek Hill maybe more so than just a tall guy that they could throw the ball up to in the red zone. You don't want, though, Lance, really, and I'm not trying to be funny here, again, 40 time is so overrated in so many aspects because it's play speed that matters. And you will have coaches who will tell you all the time, contrary to some of the draft, uh, the draft gurus who continue to clock guys, ooh, he better be a 4-4-2, he better be a 4-4-3. Yeah, well, you know what? Sometimes that guy who's a 4-5-8 plays faster, and he's able to get his separation, yeah, and he's say, able to use his size and whatever he's got to make a play. That's true, Paul, but you don't see many 4-5-8 wide receivers be stars in the league. I, I I think there's I don't think you need to be a four four two, but I do think there's a threshold where if you're over a certain time, that's a big red well, flag. Well, Jerry Rice was a four six. I mean, you that, know, well, that's first of all, they didn't. It's train, an aberration. It's an aberration, and they didn't train for the combine then like they do now. Yeah, the game has it. changed. It's evolved. I'm pretty sure, if I'm not mistaken, I'd have to go back and look at my notes on Plexico. I'm pretty sure that Plexico was up in the four fives. But, again, the point is that every guy is going to have to be judged 
on an individual basis based on his game tape and what he shows there. That's why I always say the game tape to me still is the most important thing. Of course it is. You know, I know personnel people have said to me over the years, and I stick by this mantra all these years in the business, and that is you don't necessarily downgrade a guy for his combine numbers. And, of course, we still don't know exactly how all that stuff is going to shake out. What you do is you look at his game tape, and you may give him a little nudge based on some of his testing numbers. That could be possible, a small little nudge. But you're never going to downgrade a guy based on his testing numbers. What it will make you do is go back and look at him a second and third time. Well, and I would say this, too, that this year, you know, the, the tape's even more important because these, you know, pro days are going to have, who knows how normalized these, you know, testing events are going to be from, from school to school. And I think... And again, I don't want to get this is not combine. I don't want to get into the combine right now. But I think you use that to 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 confirm what you see on tape. So if you have a question about a guy's speed yeah. on tape and then he tests poorly, well then you know what? I I might downgrade him a little bit. If you're like not sure about his game speed on tape and then he tests poorly, then that would be like, all right, maybe he maybe I'm right. Maybe he's not that fast. So I, I did find it, John. Plexico Burris was four five nine. But again, you're always going to find exceptions. It doesn't mean that you want to roll the dice on guys like that. But my my point is on the opposite side of the spectrum that don't automatically eliminate a guy. No, but also the two guys you brought up happen to be two of the top wide receivers that we're talking about within NFL history as well, Paul. I mean, let's not overlook that. Look, as much as I love Plexico Burris, unfortunately his his outstanding seasons do not collect enough to to compile a Hall of Fame. Well, Well, I'm not saying you have to be in the Hall of Fame to be a great wide receiver, but it's fair to say Jerry Rice and Plexico Burris were very productive guys for not just one year of a flash. Again, I know know I'm, I'm kind of throwing out big names here, but you've heard of Herman Moore, right? course for the Lions yeah okay well what 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 do you think he was he was probably one of the slowest big wide receivers that this league anyway, has ever I, seen but I don't kick know, people's butts I, I don't know why we got into testing speed here this isn't what I was trying to do no I don't know I don't know either well you did don't, don't look at you me were the one that yeah, yeah, no, no, no 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 <laughs> Lance was bringing up the speed for the Smurfs Yes, and then you brought up testing, which came and out I'm, of and I'm, count, and I'm count And I'm countering that I appreciate the speed for the Smurfs, but that doesn't automatically make them a better receiver for my team. Right, that's that. that that's that's the point. Fine. Limited Giant season tickets are on sale now for the 2021 season. In addition to ticket average, uh, ticket savings, excuse me, membership benefits include access to exclusive events, experiences, pre-sales, and more. You can lock in your seat starting at just $100. Call 888-NYG-1925 or visit Giants.com slash tickets for more information. All right, let's go to the offensive-defensive line here, guys, before we uh, get to the calls and, and, and talk about some other stuff going on in the NFL. You know, this offensive line class, to me, and a lot of the top guys were not necessarily in Mobile. Some were, like the Alex Leatherwoods of the world, guys like that. I don't think this is going to be as, as good of a top end of the class as you had last year, where we had, what, four guys in the top 12, I think, be offensive tackles, right? I think uh, Tristan Worst went 12th to 10th, if I remember mm-hmm. correctly. You're not going to have that this year. You're maybe going to have two, maybe, maybe three guys in the top 15. So... It's not going to be as good at the top of the class, but I do think it's a bit of a deeper class. And I think if you are a team that wants to grab an offensive lineman, you have a better shot at finding one at the top end of that second round, or maybe even if one drops enough, the back end of the second round or top end of the third round. I do think it's a bit of a deeper class at that spot than we've seen in past years. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. 
you could still get a quality guy. And nobody says you have to bring in a guy in the second or the third round and expect him to start immediately. It may be somebody who's going to be a swing guard, a swing tackle, and then year two or year three, you're ready to insert them into the starting lineup. You look at the Giants, for example, and Nate Solder, to me, remains a big question mark. We're assuming that he'll be in the mix to return, but we'll see how the finances play out. Whenever a player opted out, I think there's a question mark over there. And whether or not you bring back a guy like Cam Fleming. And then with respect to the guards, Kevin Zeitler, who once again, I will emphasize, is under contract, okay? So the Giants don't have to do anything with Kevin Zeitler, but a lot of people want to speculate that maybe they'll try to shed some salary to allow them to re-sign some of the defensive players. So my point is, you have guys that were young last year that played this year. I don't know necessarily if the Giants are saying if we grab a guy in the second or third round, we've got to start them immediately. But I think you may want to bring in a guy that's going to be additional competition to push some of the guys that may be in line for a starting position so you don't simply just hand a guy a job because you lost somebody via free agency or you wound up cutting somebody. Yeah, and Lance, I'll add to that. I think, and I said this to, to Feegs on yesterday's show, that if you could add somebody— that's position versatile, that can yeah. play guard and tackle. Now, there's not a lot of those guys. Rayshon Slater's one. Now, he would have to be a first-round pick, you know, obviously. But if you can find somebody that can compete at both spots, so if one of those young guys doesn't work out, and look, odds are, you look at the four young offensive linemen of the Giants, the odds that Thomas, Parrott, Lemieux, and Hernandez all end up being long-term starters, just based on math and averages, the chances of that are... Is just not great. That's not how it works in the NFL. So you would like to have a guy that could push or compete at three or four different spots. So for whichever one of those guys doesn't hit, you have then a younger guy that you can maybe slide in there and say, okay, you beat out this guy, and because you could play multiple spots, we have the flexibility to move you to a different position. I'm with you. I, I think that, to me, is something that the Giants and every other team should be looking for. Because this way, if you do have an injury that comes up over the course of the season and you say, oh, well, this guy in college had to start a game or two at guard even though he was a tackle, then you know what? That, to me, is a blessing in disguise that you wound up drafting somebody with versatility. Case in point, now, I'm not saying that this is going to be a guy that's going to be accessible. You brought up Alex Leatherwood, okay, out of Alabama, who is an unbelievable presence if you just look at him. He's Before he even starts moving around on the field, my goodness, guy's like a brick wall. <laughs> so he was a tackle, but at the Senior Bowl, they're trying to experiment with him at guard. So that would be an example, John, of somebody that you talked about. Another name that I want to throw out, and this is, once again, just based on pure presence optics and this is somebody that easily is going to be overlooked because he comes from a d3 program wisconsin whitewater quinn miners who has the look of a trenches guy i mean this is a guy that was running over trees this offseason because <laughs> he had no football so he wasn't pancaking players on the field he was pancaking trees in canada where he was living okay they literally took the guy they put him in the forest and he was rolling over tree branches you're going to tell me that that doesn't get paul detino excited and by the way if that, i tell you that that guy is like some weird combination of nick gates with the belly shirt and the hair, but also, <laughs> yeah. but also Brett Jones because he's from Canada. So if you like merge Brett Jones and Nick Gates into one person, that's Quinn Miner. Yeah, I think that's a very good parallel. I like that, John. <laughs> yes. I like that. <laughs> Paul, your thoughts on some of the offensive linemen we saw this week? I thought there were some small school guys uh, in addition to Leatherwood. Who I thought Leatherwood did actually struggle with some of the speed rushers around the outside at, at left tackle, but. I think we did see some other guys. Trey Smith from Tennessee inside is just a mammoth individual. 
Um, I think he's interesting. He was 360, yeah, right? He's a, uh, I think 335, maybe. I would, I would, he I looks 360. Yes, he does look 360. That's true. Uh, oh, Dylan, he's busting out everywhere. Dylan Raddins from uh, North Dakota State I thought was an interesting guy who played guard and tackle. They, I think they played one game this year before their season got called because of the pandemic. So there were some other smaller school guys and even bigger school guys that I thought were, were interesting prospects on the offensive line. Well, the only thing I would say about the O-line, John, from from what I could tell, and I, I checked in, uh, again, I spot-checked on yesterday's, um, yesterday's practice. Uh, it seemed to me that you've got some guys who have some size and, and will do well. What I saw was a lot of guys who handled the first moves pretty well. Yeah. What I don't know is when you're in live game action, and you're going to have guys who are coming on stunts and who are going to come with that secondary and, and third move. That I'm not sure about yet, but it looked like on first moves, the bulk of the offensive linemen at the Senior Bowl have an ability to at least make that initial block. Yeah, to your point, I don't think we saw many elite athletes on the no. offensive line. Correct. No. I agree with that. That's fair. So, so to me, my initial feeling until I – maybe we'll see more in the games. I, I'd like – again, I'd love to see game conditions, which is why I'm anxious to see game tape on a lot of these guys. And that would be, you know, what are they? Well, they're guys who may be legit backups. They're guys who may need polish, you know, to, to get into the starting lineup. I don't necessarily see as many high-ranking offensive linemen, especially the tackles that we saw last year. Yeah, I agree with that. I I thought Creed Humphrey, by the way, the center from Oklahoma, has looked really, really good. I think if the Giants were in need of a center, which they're not now because of the way Nick Gates played, I thought he could be a potential second-round pick. Um, so he's the lefty, right, John? If I'm correct, yes. Which yeah. which you don't often see, uh, left-handed centers. Yeah. Absolutely. The other thing, too, guys. Since we're doing all line, we we should do D line too. They're going up against each other. You know, again, I think this is similar. Where you're not going to have maybe even one edge rusher go in the top 15. Maybe one guy will sneak in there. But I think there are some developmental guys that you can try to pick in the end of the first round, second, third round, that you hope develop into somebody. But the problem you run into is that in order to be a great edge rusher, you almost have to be a great athlete. It's hard to be a really good edge rusher but not be a great athlete. It's just hard to do. And to Paul's point with the offensive line, I didn't see anybody that, like, you know, last year we had Montez Sweat, right, at the Senior Bowl. And you're like, wow, okay. I see the package with him. Right. He looks special. I didn't see anybody pop that way to me this year. No, well, not in the Senior Bowl class. Now, of course, like I said to you on previous shows, John, a guy like Rousseau out of Miami who yep. opted out this year, mm-hmm. and he's going to be in the draft. There are a lot of folks who think he is the best edge rusher in this draft. Correct. Okay? The problem is, after playing for one year and then opting out, do you think that the value is there really high? Is he going to give you immediate dividends when he's got such a little amount of experience at the big-time NCAA level? And see, that's the problem with me and the Giants here, John, because we know that they need some immediate dividends. If they're going to get an edge rusher, if they're going to take someone in the draft, the guy's got to be sure to give them some immediate production. Which, by the way, for edge rushers, generally doesn't happen. It's hard. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's why they usually go very high if they're going to be there. And I just don't see, I don't see any confident immediate production type edge rushers in this draft. And even if you want to project that Rousseau over the next three years or so is going to be really, really good, well, that doesn't help you right now. You know, and so 
I, that to me makes that particular position of a poor fit for the Giants because now you're basically saying you're going to have to take a project who is he going to project to be better than what you project O'Shane Zimenez to be? Because Zimenez was one of those guys, okay? He was a guy who you don't take you know, first or second round, you wait a couple of rounds in, and you say, okay, we think he can project. He's a ball of clay, and we hope that in three seasons he becomes a legit pass rusher. Well, you know, are the Giants in a position to do that right now? I don't think so. Well, I think what we saw this past season is Patrick Graham's philosophy of, hey, if we get a double-digit sack guy, which was a pleasant surprise with Leonard Williams, then everybody else is going to be piecemeal. And we're going to mix and match, and we're going to do everything in our power to get to that 40-sack total. Which That's is not what good they enough, though, in two-minute drills and end-of-game nope. situations. And, and I'm not That's disagreeing with hole. you. But yeah. what I'm saying is they could very well bring in a free agent, not necessarily a star, but they could bring in more of a proven commodity who's been in the league for the last few years who doesn't have to go through those growing pains that you're talking about where you're impatient and you want to get him on the field next season and you want him to deliver. You could always go that route, and then you can take a flyer on a guy that may need a year or two of extra polish. I don't think there's anything wrong with maybe having that philosophy and combining the free agent, who may not be a household name, but just a quality guy with somebody in the third or fourth round of the draft. You could certainly do that. Yeah, you can, but again, I think that's it's not necessarily going to help you now, but I don't think in the draft you're necessarily drafting for now anyway, especially in those later rounds. All yeah, right. well, I think to your point, I think we've seen flashes out of this group. You know, from just watching the individuals at the Senior Bowl with the practice, I think you'd see one rep and you're like, wow, this guy has something. And then you'd see another rep and it wasn't a wow you moment. For example, you know, Carlos Basham yeah. out of Wake Forest is a guy that we didn't bring up. You know, he's somebody that I think has potential interior outside play, a little bit maybe more versatility than some of the other guys. But his production dipped this past season compared to his previous years. So I think that's another example of, okay, did he peak too soon? Can he duplicate that? I think you like the intangibles, but I still think you're not sold on, is this a guy that every single season I throw him out there, is he going to give me the same level of productivity? Yeah, I think, I think that remains to be seen. Yeah, I think Basham is an interesting second-round option. You know, he, he the Giants play that multiple defense where you want guys to do different things, and he's a yeah. guy that can play end and tackle. I think and Jeff and I talked about him yesterday a little bit, Lance, and I'm with you. I actually liked his pass rush better inside than outside. Watching so did I, John. During, during Senior Bowl week. Taking so, on double teams especially. And remember, he waited at 281, so it's not like he, yeah. can, he, he can't do it on, on passing down. So You you had alerted me to him, uh, I guess it was the other day on the program, and I did specifically look for him more in the last couple of days of, of clips, and there's no question that, uh, that that guy is going to make somebody in the second round very happy. Don't miss out on your chance to experience a premier hospitality experience watching Giant Games and world-class concerts in 2021 as a giant suite partner. Limited full-season locations are available or place a deposit for individual games. Call 888-NYG-1925 or visit Giants.com slash suites for more information. All right, let's go to the phones at 973-667-1960. Dave in Princeton has been waiting patiently since the start of the show. We bring him now on Big Blue Kickoff Live. Hey, Dave, what's going on? Hi, guys. First time, very long time, and uh, thanks for giving me so many hours of enjoyment. Well, thank you for listening. We appreciate it. Okay. I have a philosophical question. Uh, just give me a minute to frame it. Frame away. Okay. At the number 11 pick, there are three players available that the Giants really, really love, and they're equal in their mind. One's an edge rusher, one's a cornerback, and one's a wide receiver. 
and clearly value meets need. My question is, one, would you take the wide receiver, since the offense needs a wide receiver more than Paul needs his five-mile power walk? (laughs) Two, do you take one of the defensive players, because then the Giants can take a good defense and perhaps make it a top-five defense, and the Giants can then be more defensive than Lance's when the two of you bust on him about his height? Or three, do you look at the drop-off between rounds one and two at each of the three positions and take the player at the position where there would be the biggest drop-off, almost a big, as big a drop-off as John's Knicks have had over what seems <laughs> a lifetime? Wow, you, have, you had the one-liners all in there, Dave. That was pretty good. Um, I, for one, for me, that's an easy decision. I picked the edge rusher because they're the hardest position to find. We talked, and I think this is kind of the last option you put out there. That's why I do not pick the receiver there because I feel like there's there's so many in abundance, whether in free agency or even in, in the draft, where you can find one. But if you want a really good edge rusher, you almost have to pick one high. It's very hard to find one later. Look, there are exceptions like T.J. Watt was a late first-round pick and you know guys like that. But for the most part, if you want a really top edge rusher, you got to pick them early because you need an elite athlete at the position. So for me, I look to see which guy and position would be hardest to fill elsewhere if you all consider them you know, equal in talent. And for me, the easy decision for me is going edge rusher there. Paul? Well, if you assume the roster still has those same three holes that we have now and, and the free do. agency does not alter that picture, for me, it's, it's obvious I'm going corner. Because there's no edge rusher to me that's going to be guaranteed value at no 11. no 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 that wasn't this question though his question was that there were three players available and they all have identical grades on the Giants board oh I oh okay so the value the the grade and the value is perceived to be the same correct then you've got then you've got to then you've you've got to take the edge rusher you have to but I I just don't think in this draft that's going to be possible. Because while I think that maybe Sertan or Farley could potentially have a slot 11 grade, I honestly don't think that that even the people who like Rousseau can give you, with a lot of confidence, the belief that he is worth the 11th pick in the draft. So given this particular scenario, I'm probably going to go with one of the corners uh, if, if that's how it were to play out. Well, I think wide receiver, there's plenty of depth there. So I think you can wait a little bit to get a playmaker who could still come in year one and make an impact. So, I mean, it really comes down to the pass rusher in the corner. And I would probably side with Paul on this one because I think there's no one pass rusher that would absolutely blow me away even though the board adds up. And my feeling is also if I'm able to bring in a corner that I think that highly of that matches the value of the pass rusher, then that means that I feel pretty good about putting that corner opposite James Bradbury. And with the two safeties, three safeties really, I already have on the roster and I know I'm bringing back, that's going to alleviate and help the pass rushers that I already have on the roster. So I'd probably actually break the tie and lean more towards corner. And how great would that top, would that defense be when you have all those guys covering and we don't have to worry about the last two minutes of the first half and the last two minutes of the game as much as we've had in the past. Uh, I agree with you guys, but I thought I was going to be in the minority. No, nah, no worries. Dave, I appreciate the call, man. Good stuff. Thanks. Thank you, bud. So this is why I think it's interesting. So his philosophical question, I think, made our answer easy. Now the reality makes it tougher. All right, I think we all agree that we don't see an edge rusher there that, that that's going to qualify, right? But let's say the Giants get there, right? And they have a choice, and I'll rank them uh, from 1 to 10, right? Wide, a wide receiver, or even I'll throw Kyle Pitts in there, a tight end, that have a 9 grade. 
but the cornerback there only has an 8.5 grade or 8 grade, then I think the conversation gets a little bit tougher, assuming the pass rusher is like a 7.5 grade or something like that. So that's where I think it gets a little complicated and a little bit more difficult to figure out how much need and value do you balance with the overall grade, how close do the guys have to be to make that decision. Well, there there are a lot of other issues too, John. Because now you got the character issues, you got the the injury issues. Because even if the guy's got a nine grade, well, now what's his medical grade? Right, Is he a one or a five? Correct. But I think I, rather you than know, there are a lot of variables right. here. I would say just if you the full package, right? You put everything together. You like the wide receiver or playmaking tight end, not significantly better, but decently better than you do the cornerback. But you think you can find a much better wide receiver at 43 yeah. than you well, can find a quarterback. Sure. On, so, on the law of supply and demand, you'd have to go to the defensive player. Well, right, but at what point, how much better does the receiver have to be to pick the receiver first, I guess, the is the question I'm trying to The receiver has to be literally step on the field, Pro Bowl caliber, or, and, 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 you know, for me to lean that way, or if, if I'm going to lean to the defensive side, you've got to basically tell me that guy, week one, he's ready to start. The, the guy who's ready to start week one, if you have an absolute belief that week one, he is starting, this is not a first-round pick that I'm going to bring along, that I'm going to you know, hope that by midseason he's ready to go. No, if you think he's that good, that right now, week one, we play opening day tomorrow, and he is starting for me, that, that makes a, that's a little bit of a line of differentiation because it tells me how much confidence I have in that player. Well, I would say there's two things that would make me take the wide receiver. Number one, that the wide receiver is technically not a wide receiver, first of all. And what I mean by that oh, he's is— he's a weapon. Correct. Exactly. Yeah. It's like a Saquon Barkley, Christian McCaffrey, yeah. meaning I can maybe utilize the guy out of the backfield. I can send him vertical. I could get him out into the flat, you know, similar to what I think Devontae Smith brings to the table. Okay, so that would be one thing that would come to mind that would make me go the direction of the wide receiver. The second factor would be, and I want to expand on what Paul just talked about, I think that there would have to be a significant separation between that wide receiver and and then the next group of guys that you have on your sure. board. Meaning even though you like the position and you think there's depth, you would say, hey, if we wait for the next group, they're quality guys. They can contribute year one, but they don't have the tools and they don't have the big playmaking ability immediately that this guy could bring to the table. If those two factors are met that I just talked about, then I go wide receiver. I don't even ask any questions. You know, you just bring up a really, really muddy situation here, Lance, because Kyle Pitts. That was going to be my follow-up, Paul. Good that's call. That's your guy. Yep. That's, that's the guy. That's the guy that's now going to make Lance stay up at night because this guy can play standard tight end. They believe that he's got enough of blocking ability that he can be your down tight end in line. He can also be your H-back, and he can also be your stand-up large slot guy much like what the Chiefs do with Kelsey. And he's so, so he much, can play three positions. And he's so much better than the next guy that can do that. Not even close. Right. Not even close. So then do you go with that so player Pitts, then? So Pitts causes a real problem. But guess what? He's not getting to 11. Uh, <laughs> he's not going to be there, John. If there are four quarterbacks picked in the top 10, damn right he could be. Oh. Here you go. No, Paul, I-, I will give you the scenario right now. Four quarterbacks in the top 10. You have the top two wide receivers in Smith and uh, Chase. That's up to six. You have two offensive linemen in Penny Sewell and Rashawn Slater. You're up to eight. Then all you need to do is have either 
the the, uh, the last two picks in the top ten, um, two of either the cornerbacks or Jalen Waddle, and all of a sudden Pitts is there at eleven. See, I, I've been going under the model of three quarterbacks, three receivers, the tight end, and one of the offensive linemen as eight of the top ten. I'm not willing to say on January 29th there's no way Kyle Pitts is there. I don't think you can. I mean, how often do tight ends get picked in the top ten? So I'm not willing to come out and say that guy's definitely off I, the board. I think, I think the three-position versatility that Lance alludes to makes him a little bit more of a weapon than just a tight end. And I think that enhances his value greatly. And and I think that, you know, what we've seen, how tight ends, again, in recent years, the last couple of years in particular, have become so incredibly valuable, especially the multiple position tight ends. I'm inclined to think he's not going to get to well, 11. But I, if he is, John... Boy, that would make my my uh, my decision extremely difficult. I just think, look, what what do we say? There was a ten percent chance, you know, um, not Josh Allen, um, the pass rusher from Kentucky two years ago. That was there then, um, when the Giants took Jones. Yeah, Josh Allen. Yeah, it was Josh yeah, Allen. I'm him. sorry, it was it Josh was, Allen. That's him. Yeah. So th- we thought there was a five percent chance he was going to be there at five. And we're talking much later in the draft here. So I'm not willing to rule that out. I think it's a coin toss. Uh, to be honest with you, uh, so uh, that's how I look at it. I I don't think you're going to have all three of the wide receivers and the tight end gone in the top 11. I don't think all four will be gone. I think one of those four will be left. Which one? Hells if I know. I don't know. But I, I wouldn't I be surprised. Again, a lot depends on how teams view Pitts. You know, if they're having the conversation that we're having and they don't just view him as a tight end by trade, you know, that changes the philosophy. Just to yeah. give you an idea, though, because I was just looking through some previous drafts, TJ Hawkinson, okay, when he went to the Lions in 2019, that was the eighth overall pick. At that time, that was the highest drafted tight end since Vernon Davis went sixth overall in 2006. And just the second tight end picked in the top 10 in the previous 12 drafts. So it is very rare that a tight end is taken within the top 10. But if you're looking at Pitts as not just a prototypical tight end, then you can pretty much throw those labels out the window. I think it all depends on how the team views a player like that. And to give you an idea, just, you know, this is very early and no one's assigning players to, to teams yet, but Mel Kuyper has Pitts to the Giants at 11. Dane Brugler has Pitts to the Giants at 11. Daniel Jeremiah and has Jalen Waddle to the Giants at 11. So I do think there's a yeah. realistic conversation we can have right now. And just to give you an idea, Todd McShay, he had the Giants taking Rousseau Paul, who you mentioned, as and, 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 and we'll have a show next week when we kind of go through all these mock drafts that came out. There was a million of them before the Senior Bowl. Um, McShay has Pitts going at 8 to Carolina, but he has Jalen Waddle. Does he have not gone in the top 10? He does. So he's more, no, he is Jalen Waddle lasting until 17. McShay on his board, which I'm not sure that's going to happen. Uh, going to the Raiders, shocking. They pick a speedy wide receiver. But um, yeah, I just think right now it's just a little bit early to kind of make those decisions. Hey, Giant fans, get a New York Giants checking account from Investors Bank with the Giants branded debit card, security features, and discounts at the Giants online shop. You can earn up to $250 when you open an account at investorsbank.com slash Giants member FDIC. Let's go back to the phones. Call, you're on the air. What's your name and where are you calling from? Hi, it's Scott from New Mexico. Sup, Scott? Um, I look at the draft this way. The red zone efficiency of the Giants was 31st, besides being 31st in scoring. 
who's the player that they can count on if they draft someone that can prove that they can get into the end zone? Well, Scott, and, here's how you score in the red zone. You run the ball well. Right. But you also so what do you need, want to do, pick an offensive lineman then? No. Uh, my The way I look at it, uh, the two guys in the Super Bowl, the two teams, both have huge tight ends. And both of them are very efficient. I had mentioned to you another guy. He won't be right, taken. No, but Scott, hold on a second. Do you want to know sure. who Tampa Bay's top target in the red zone is? Who is it? It's Mike Evans. Right, but he's six six or six. Right, but, but my point is like that Tampa Bay's not good in the red zone because of their tight ends. They're good in the red zone because of Mike Evans. Right, but Gronkowski creates a problem. So no well, but they have what, multiple tight ends, Scott. It, yes, it's really unfair to just classify it as Gronkowski. Like Cameron Brait, O.J. Howard, I know, got hurt. They have three tight ends on that team. Correct. Uh, but but I look for the guy who's going to make the most difference to do that. And, Scott wants uh, Larry Donnell. No, nah. well, I, actually, I actually want a guy that I That's mentioned funny. earlier who's in, uh, uh, what's his name? Uh, uh, you want Ramsey's pardon? Daniel Jeremiah's a top 50 players. And he's a guy out of Penn State, Pat, Pat Fryermuth. He won't be taken by the Giants, I'm pretty sure. But if you watch game films of him, they call him Baby Gronk. But he is exceptional as a tight end, and that's the kind of guy I'm looking for. Now, I have no problem if they do draft Pitts, uh, but I watch game films. I watch about five or six game films of him, and he's not a great route runner, but he has a tremendous uh, catch radius. Uh, but he can create separation because he, he plays mostly outside. He doesn't play in line. Whereas that type of tight end I'm looking for for a guy. And if the Giants don't go this route, I was hoping that there was a possibility that they would look to uh, Philadelphia and try to get Zach Ertz. Because he he already mentioned on his on on Philadelphia's website he doesn't want to play for the Eagles any longer. That's very yeah. expensive. That's going to be extremely expensive. I don't know how. That's the question I was going to ask. How expensive is that to get a player of that ilk, and then go after if you want a wide receiver? Doesn't matter whether it's Waddle or Pitts or someone else, but they need somebody that can score from the inside going in for the 20-yard line, and that's the kind of guy I really wanted to hope the Giants can get, no matter how the what the machinations are to try to get that. And that was really my only point. Uh, thanks, guys, and I'll, I'll take your answers off. The Thank air. you, Scott. Honestly, I want to prioritize getting my biggest priority, and maybe you guys will disagree with me, but that's fine. I want to find a guy that will help you score from outside the red zone. You know, I mean, I'm tired of having to, to, to do these long drives and pound the ball in. It's hard to do. Red zone, it's, it's hard to score in the red zone. It just is. It's, it's compressed. It's difficult, especially if you don't have a dominant running game. It just is. So, for me... Give me a guy that can make a big play from outside the 20-yard line once in a while. The Giants don't have enough of those guys. Give me the guy that can catch the 25-yard post, you know, at the plus 25. Give me that guy. Find me the big play guy to get me some easy scores. Saquon will help with that, but I want somebody I can throw to that's going to give me some of those big plays to get you into the end zone without having to pound it in with a compressed field inside the five. Well, I would argue, first of all, one player alone with the 11th overall pick is not going to solve the Giants' red zone yeah, issues. I agree with that. Too. If that's what you're thinking. I'm not saying that the last caller was saying that, but I almost got the sense of it. One player alone is not going to be the savior. It's going to take multiple facets to get those numbers improved. That's number one. Number two, as far as the two teams that are in the Super Bowl as a means of comparison, 
Travis Kelsey, and you were hinting at this a little bit, John, Kelsey makes plays well outside of the red zone to help move those chains, okay? So I'm not just saying, well, give me a guy who within 15 yards of the end zone can make plays. I want a guy that if I'm at the 45-yard line, that he could get me a 25-yard gain on a catch run. Kelsey could do that for you. Even some of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, Cameron Brate over the middle from Tom Brady, he's going to move the chains. So I'm not getting so caught up in what this guy can do just within the end zone. I want to know what he could do to help me get down the field, okay? You don't just get the football at the 25-yard line of your opponent and say, hey, we need to just get 25 yards. So you can't lose sight of that when you talk about potential weapons and who you could add for the Giants. The other thing that I want to throw out, and I'm not trying to go down the road of the height where we started this conversation. And Lance, by the way, but yeah. real quick, I just want to add to your point. It's not like the Giants had you know gained a bunch of yards per game and just weren't scoring in the red zone. No, they weren't scoring in the red zone. They're also next to last in yards per game. So to your point, they need guys to move the ball up and then the field as much as they need guys that can punch it in. Anyway, now, here, and now go with your second point. Yes, my point exactly. I, I'm looking at, once again, all the characteristics, all the numbers connected to the offense, not just the red zone, 100%. which, of course, is important because you got to win games by scoring points. But I digress back to the point. We were talking about height earlier, and I get it. You want versatility, as Paul pointed out, within your offensive personnel. But you also don't just say, well, this guy's tall, so let's throw him in there. And if you're not seeing it in practice and the guy's not ready, then why would you as a coaching staff take a flyer on that? Case in point, I got some Twitter feedback about Rice and John. Okay, guys? six mm-hmm. seven, right? He was on the practice mm-hmm. squad. We talked about him last year, the Canadian okay. fellow. Yeah, we talked about him. But he didn't get anything, any opportunities this season. Nope. So why is that? Well, he's six seven, Paul. I mean, why shouldn't I line him up on the line of scrimmage and then, you know, play toss-up with Daniel Jones and try to get him in the end zone? Well, maybe it has something to do with the fact that he was completely learning a new position. This was somebody that was a wide receiver in college. He got moved to tight end. On top of that, he was making a jump from a D2 school to the National Football League. So my point is, you could have all the height in the world. Doesn't mean that production and skill set come with that territory. And that's why they have to show that in practice, they can get down to those fundamentals before anybody's going to throw out the Giants simply because they're tall and big. You know, Lance, the only thing I would say, and I'm not sure why why you're making that defense or critics, criticism there, because nobody in their right mind thought that Rice and John was equivalent to being a highly drafted player or a guarantee to help this team. Uh, he was a six foot seven wide receiver out of a D2 school from Canada. The fact of the matter is he just made an intriguing option as an undrafted rookie free agent who you take a flyer on and you take notice of and say, okay, keep an eye on that guy because maybe he'll show some sparks. That's a big difference than drafting a guy on the first or second day of the draft and saying this guy's six foot five or this guy's six foot four and he's going to be someone who fits the equation for me. There's a big, big difference. So I, I resent that you threw Rice and John out there. That, that's, not a, that's not the same question. It's a totally different scenario. Well, I'm not saying that he was a highly ranked player, but there's a lot of people that also have the belief that height alone is intriguing well, enough to foolish. just throw the guy out on the field. Look at Ramsey's Barton. Okay, and, exactly. Well, Ramsey's Barton's another example. And Had all Ruben the height Randall. in the world. Yeah. And where was the productivity? It huh? wasn't right, right. Okay. So the point is, if 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 you match the height, and this is why guys like Megatron are so coveted in the National Football League, Julius Jones, so coveted in the NFL, because when you have a guy, freaking Chase Claypool, 
Oh my goodness, John can tell you. I, I, I had I was dripping with this guy. I was salivating. My tongue was on the ground. I needed to walk around with a towel to wipe my face when I saw Chase Claypool at the combine last year. Because not only did I know the guy had size, I knew he had the whole package. That's what if you can find a guy who you know is gonna make an impact in this league and oh by the way, he's a monster. Oh baby, that's kick ass. You got King Kong. That that's the difference between a guy like that and a guy like Rice and John who you say, hmm, undrafted rookie free agent, he's got size. Maybe there's a flyer you take on him. That's like buying a lottery ticket. You got a million to one shot that you're going to hit with him, but if he hits, you're happy. But you're not counting on him to hit. Huge difference, Lance. Huge difference. No, but you can also say that for certain packages of plays, why not throw him out there? That's where the argument is that I'm bringing up. Why not put Rice and John on the field? He's 6'7". So for a few plays in the red zone, why not put him out there? Well, the reason is because Rice and John doesn't earn a roster spot on Sunday because he's got to be able to play special teams if he's going to be a backup wide receiver. And that's and is my it really point, worth that it there's other to put a guy on your game day into. roster who's yes. going to get one target in the red zone when, oh, by the way, he can't do anything else, and the other team knows that if you put him on the field inside the 20-yard line, chances are that's the play they're going to run. How dumb would that be? Well, and that's my argument. That's exactly what you just laid out is what I'm pointing at. That size alone doesn't matter. Of course size alone doesn't matter. We totally agree. But I don't know why you had to present the argument in a wide-scraping fashion because that's where you lose the juice. Well, because I would say that a lot of people have the thought process that size alone. Well, Forget where they were drafted. They're foolish if they Lawrence believe that. Warren's putting somebody like that on the field. That's what my point I'm is. Sorry, I'm sorry that you get tweets like that because that doesn't make sense. We're on the same page then. We are. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> are you guys good now? Can we continue? I think we're good. Go Absolutely. ahead. Yes. Do you guys want to, like, hug it out or anything like no, that? No, we're well, good. We're good. We don't need a virtual hug. I think we're, we're good. all good. Yes. 973-667-1960. Let's go back to the phones. Um, Cole, you're on the air. What's your name? Where are you calling from? This is uh, Bruce in Albany. Hey, Bruce. What's up? Uh, I have a question for you guys about a guy who's already on our team. Sounds like Paul would like him. He's 6'3", 37.5-inch vertical, and he led the nation in touchdowns most of the year. He's not that fast. He runs like a 4'5", but he catches everything. David Sills. Yeah, the converted quarterback out of West Virginia. Well, here's the problem. Finalist for the Blitnikoff Award. He broke his foot, but... He's he also big. had the COVID he earlier, this year, the gym, earlier this year, too. And, and around the end zone, I think he'd be very effective. Yeah, you know what happened, though? When, when he got into the league with the Bills, they, they had him a, as, a, as a rookie on their practice squad. He was only there for a short time. Didn't really stick on. Giants picked him up. They signed him to the practice squad, and he just hung around and hung around and hung around. And for whatever reason, and this goes back to what Lance said probably before, they did not see enough of an all-around game where he could do multiple things to allow you to give him a roster spot on game day. Here's the thing, and, and, and I appreciate what you're saying, but if the guy only has one thing that you think you're going to be able to use him for in the game, you can't give him a jersey. He's got to be scratched. Well, I remember Victor Cruz was going to be cut by the Giants. And our offensive coordinator, Ron, no, I can't remember his name. Ron, he, he said, no, don't cut this guy. No, Gil, Gilbride was the coordinator at the time. 
Okay. And, and then he had the three the touchdowns against the Jets. Keep and by the way, oh. there was one other person that said we can't cut this guy, and it was someone in ownership. I'll be yeah. that. <laughs> and, and by the way, it might not be who you're thinking of in ownership either. Here's the point. Here's the point. Okay, Victor Cruz was able to do a lot. He played. He was able to play all three. He knew all three wide receiver positions. Okay, and he was also willing to block for the run. So he was a multifaceted player. He was a com- more of a complete player than somebody like, like, like David Sills is right now. And, and the only thing I would say is this. Being that the Bills and the Giants have both had a look at him on the practice squad and neither team felt enough to elevate him to the active roster, then my suspicion is they probably don't believe there's enough there to warrant it. Okay. What about Dante Pettis? Now, here's a guy that, I don't know. I don't know why he hasn't done more, but he he looks he looks very good. He's fast. He he uh, he's elusive. I don't know. Well, well remember, he joined the team late. It also doesn't mean that you're okay. there. Are there are a lot of fast, elusive players out there that aren't good wide receivers? I mean, you can you can go to eighteen different Division One college programs and find a bunch of quick, fast guys, and they never make it as a wide receiver because the position is more than that. You know, the 49ers weren't exactly, you know, bleeding with top wide receivers the last couple of years with all the injuries they had and everything like that. So I think that's a sign of, of what Pettis is. That doesn't mean he can't be a helpful player on special teams and, and, and be a part-time wide receiver. But I think to, to have faith in him to become like a full-time starter and a big-time playmaker after being in the league for, for as long as he has, I think you're probably fooling yourself. You, you know what, John? I, I don't know. I mean, from what we've heard in San Francisco, he wasn't always in shape. He had concentration lapses, and he's looking at this as a new lease on life. You know, he got cut. He uh, he got himself more in shape last year. Well, right, well, obviously but, had the COVID. Right, but that could be he could be a legit get a jersey on Sunday receiver sure. in this league. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, he could be that. But I think some people that are like he was a second round pick, maybe he could be your starter. I think they need to pump the brakes a little bit. Oh uh, yeah, I think you're I think you're asking for a little much at this point. Whatever you get out of him is going to be gravy, but I, I wouldn't be surprised if he makes the team. No, he could warrant a roster spot and he could be that fourth wide receiver, a fifth yeah, wide receiver. I don't I think that's think crazy so. at all. Yeah, I mean I think my point was you still have a very small sample size of him with the Giants. So I think at least from the Giants coaching staff perspective, he's the type of player, all right, let's have him in camp. Let's have him in the virtual meetings or however the spring is structured. Let's get a better grip on what he can do. Because you look at the fact that they claimed him off waivers right at the beginning of November. Then, unfortunately, he dealt with COVID. So he really wasn't ready to go in an active player role until early December and then didn't really get into a game until late in the season against the Ravens. So you, you still are scratching the surface with Dante Pettis in a Giants uniform. Yeah. You need an entire offseason to truly see what he could do. But, yeah, as far as him being a contributing player on the roster, I don't think that's a stretch. But, no, I don't think the Giants are saying he's going to be one of our top three wide receivers and he's going to lead the team in targets. I, I think that's a bit crazy. But as a complimentary wide receiver special teamer, I don't think that that is a stretch at all. To be honest, okay. isn't he really Corey Coleman the second? In, yeah. in a matter of speaking. That's a good call. Really? And what we didn't, we weren't sure about Coleman. We were kind of hopeful about him, but we just didn't know. But we saw enough of flashes to think, well, maybe – and then it turned out, you know, he got hurt, and that was the end of it. I think Pettis is Coleman the second. Yeah, I think Coleman, though, by the time he came to the Giants and he had some injuries, I would argue I knew more about what Coleman could do as a wide receiver 
Whereas Pettis, I would say I'm still a little bit more on the edge in terms of what he can do consistently as a wide receiver, even based on what he showcased in San Francisco. Because remember, 2018, he was a rookie. He had a pretty productive rookie year. Then he suffered the knee injury. And I think the knee injury impacted 2019, where his numbers dipped. And then, of course, last season, he split time between the Niners and the Giants, so his season was interrupted. My point is, we've really seen, you can argue, one full season of Dante Pettis on a team in a system as a wide receiver. That's nothing compared to other NFL players that you'd be evaluating. What's your favorite phrase, Lance? Small sample size. Exactly, yeah. And I think he applies to that. (laughs) Yeah. All right, one thing I want to bring up before we go here. Maybe we can squeeze in one call if somebody wants to get in. But on Wednesday... I put up a poll, Lance. I'm not sure if you're aware of this. So we had a caller, Coach Marvin, who suggested Paul Dottino should start an Instagram account. I don't like Coach Marvin anymore. <laughs> he's not allowed to call. That's so, it. He's done. So in response to Coach Marvin, we kind of hatched uh, on the air an idea for Paul. Now, we hear enough from Paul about the Giants. So I'm not really interested in that anymore. So my idea, Lance, I want to get your take on this, was to have Paul create an Instagram account. And all he would post is one day, each one post a day and that post would be either something he did that day or my my kind of theme was one thing he saw or witnessed during one of his many power walks and that would be all he puts up there one picture per day no football commentary no football comment of something Paul Dottino did and that would be what his Instagram talk uh, Instagram account would be so I put a poll up on Twitter asking people to vote should Paul Dottino create an Instagram account that only features one picture a day from his daily walks or routine, but no football talk. So the votes are in. Oh, I'm sure it was overwhelmingly in favor. I mean, come on. It's social media. Not as overwhelming as you might think. So I only got 75 votes, which was disappointing, first of all. But nevertheless, 65% yes, more Dottino. 35% no, we've already seen enough. (laughs) Your thoughts? Once again. Small sample size dealing with our theme (laughs) on this show in terms of the number of votes. But the majority, at least, was in favor of it out of the 75. I would argue he can also do that on Twitter as opposed to Instagram. Well, I know, but— He doesn't necessarily have to trouble himself with another account. Yeah, but, but, you know, Instagram is more for pictures, so I figure we try to, you know, branch him out a little bit, right? Understandable. A squirrel running up a tree. (laughs) A deer trying to cross the street. I mean, I'm sure, listen— the entire forest is filled with enough characters that would interact with Tatino in a heartbeat out in his neck of the woods. See, my idea, too, is that you can t- take pictures of the strange looks that all the shopkeepers give him there as, as he walks yeah. by. Like, you know, who is, who's this maniac? Well, Paul, speaking of that, let me ask you a question. And we're yes. probably going to very dangerous territory. But you pretty much take the same route all the time, oh, no. no? Or do you oh, di- no. diversify? I have many different routes. Oh, you have many different. Okay, I, I thought call, you pretty I much audibles. take the same route. No, I call audibles. I've, I've got a full route tree. Now, okay, so, so I guess my point <laughs> is is that the shop owners that John is talking about, they can't rely on at 4 o'clock on this given oh, day no. that no. you're passing by. Okay. I go at all different times. I, I could be out there at 7 a.m. I could be out there at 1130 at night. Gotcha. Oh, sure. All right, so maybe so then, so yeah, then so maybe, John, not maybe then. that doesn't hold up then. Well, I'll tell maybe, you what, though. How could they give him dirty looks if they don't well, see him? That's true, but I think this allows for a lot more versatility in the Instagram feed, if he's at different yeah. times of day. Environments, you know, backgrounds. And, and then if he's out at night, you can have, like, raccoons, possums, 
you know, uh, I you told have you both. during the summer I I run into skunks. You can that's have not fun. Yeah, well, you can take pictures of the skunks. So we got have <laughs> so we have nocturnal animals. The skunks spraying you. We too. have you we have we, we have daytime animals. We have uh, a bunch of unsavory characters that could be out at night that you could take pictures of. You know, I I think this is becoming an even more interesting idea now. To be unsavory honest, unsavory characters they run away from me. Maybe that's because you're the unsavory. I was going to say that may say something about you more so than them. <laughs> that's exactly right. Um, uh, look, I think I think your low turnout is because the people know that being a stubborn Italian like I am, there's no way in hell I'm going to do it anyway. You could also post a lot of Italian food on this account, yeah, which I, I know you like. Some marinara, yeah. some pasta, <laughs> little chicken palm. Speak, speaking of which, I think I'm going to have pasta tonight. So you could take a photo of that yes. before you delve into it. I Not think that can fellas. be the start of the yeah. Instagram account. Not happening. In any event. Fun show well, see, today. given the food analogies, I would think you'd be passionate about posting. Yeah, photos. I agree. Uh, no, 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 no. I'm wow. not. I'm not an Instagram guy. That's just. It's just the way it is. I'm well, sorry, see, guys. Well, see, if you did it on Twitter, I Look, think we can meet the, your middle the way. The truth of the matter yeah, is, dude, I, I got enough makes trouble. A good point. I got enough trouble devoting time to keep up with my Twitter account. Okay. I don't have time for anything else. Okay, fine. So I, I think I think Lance has found a good compromise here. Can we get you to do one picture from your daily walk or food? Oh, not happening. Per one, just one per day. Not happening on Twitter. <laughs> Not happening. Not happening. I'm disappointed. <sighs> hey, Giant fans! Big Blue Kickoff Live was presented by the New York Lottery. The new X series of scratch offs in the New York Lottery multiply your winnings up to 100 times. Please play responsibly. Oh, by the way, Paul, you could sell that too. You know, you can go out there and you can like go to local <laughs> businesses and you could say, "I'm going to give you a post on my inst- on my face on my Twitter account here." Which has a, a very respectable 41,000 followers, and you might be able to make some money off of that. They might pay me not to be associated with the, my Instagram account. <laughs> That's another way to go yeah, about it. Somebody things. will pay you to stay off of Instagram. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, I actually no. like that idea. Stay away. I may even throw in a two cents or two on that. <laughs> there campaign. you go. Yes. Oh, man. The New York Giants at Quest Diagnostics want our fans to come back stronger than ever. Now you can order your own lab test through Quest Direct to get the health answers you need most. Thanks for joining us for today's episode of Big Blue Kickoff Live presented by the New York Lottery. Uh, The new X-Series from the New York Lottery. Multiply your winnings up to 100 times. Please play responsibly as part of the Giants Podcast Network presented by Investors Bank. The archive is on the Giants mobile app, giants.com slash podcast, your favorite podcast platforms. Thanks for being with us. For Lance Meadow and Paul Dottino, I'm John Schmelk. Enjoy the Senior Bowl on Saturday at 2.30. We'll see you on Monday for another episode of Big Blue Kickoff Live. Have a great one, everybody. Stay safe.